0: Mortgage Professionals, what's up? It's Austin Nemec, Executive Vice President here at QLMS. And listen, if you love what you do, you're looking to get better every single day. And there's a lot of ways we can get better. We can read. We can study the business. We can hire a coach or a consultant. But in my opinion, the number one way to increase skill and become a pro is listening to others who do it at a high level who crush it in learning from them and gathering best practices from them. So here at QLMS, we're blessed to have over 6,000 powerful broker partners all across America, and they come in different shapes, sizes, experience. But once a week, we're going to sit down with one of those partners and talk business, what they do, why they do it, And share best practices that hopefully each and every one of you listening to this podcast can take and inject into your business, helping you win, ultimately helping us all become stronger together. So, today we have Ben Stucker. He's the CEO of Mortgage CS. The guy is a pro, he's an entrepreneur, he's on fire. And he's gonna talk a little bit about the number one key, in his opinion, of being a great broker. He's going to share how to get referrals from financial advisors. He's going to talk about a book that helped him win $100,000. He's going to talk about pizza, swimming, much more. Ben Stucker. Ben, how are we doing today?
1: Doing good. Austin. Thank you so much for the invitation. Appreciate it. Of course.
0: Of course. You're out in Philly, right?
1: Yes. Just north of Philadelphia. That's for sure.
0: Your roots, though, are in the Midwest, I believe, right?
1: Mm hmm Yeah. Not far from... Uh, Detroit, born and raised, a uh, majority of my childhood um, outside of Cleveland, Ohio, and then made a uh, cut straight east and and finished my childhood in New York City. Quite a big difference there.
0: <laughs> One extreme to the
1: next—that's for sure. That's right. Well, know, backyard backyard sit- went backyard went from being in the backyard to being on the roof. <laughs> that's a big difference. <laughs>
0: that's right, man. Well, good. Well, thanks for uh, for joining us. So, listen—you know—I think the most fascinating part of the mortgage broker industry is just how everyone's different. Each broker's diverse, there's different models, there's different styles, brokers come up differently. But what I've noticed is the number one commonality of the best brokers out there is that spirit of like entrepreneurship. Whether you're a broker owner or you're an LO, I mean, just having that entrepreneur mindset is key. It's huge, and you know, getting to know you, you are like the definition of an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur at heart. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But Ben, when did you know, like, you had that in you? You're an entrepreneur.
1: I'd say there's a couple of different stages. Um, sometimes it felt a little bit proactive. Sometimes it was almost a reactive feeling. Um, I'll give you some examples here. Just you know, going back to just being a kid, right? And and I was always wanting to start the club of people, you know, in, in the community that I was in, right? Let's, let's start a dirt bike club and, and I would be the one to wrangle everybody and get people motivated behind a cause, right? Wouldn't it be cool if we built a fort, you know, for or a, a racetrack in the woods or whatever. And, and I would be the one to kind of rally everybody to get them together. For or on the roof, left. on the roof in New York. On right? the roof. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, but then I'd say, you know, probably, you know, when I started my after undergraduate uh, college, I, I uh, was working at uh, uh, a startup uh, that's now extremely successful and it was a great run. Um, but when I was there, rolled out some, some projects um, in the operations world of that company that were uh, quite fantastic and saved millions of dollars in customer service costs and things like that um, and when the reward is a pat on the back and you know a five percent raise to a marginal you know to a very small and menial sort of salary that's the moment that i was it was a little more reactive where i was like you know what this is not for me yeah. like i need bigger i need a bigger reward for kicking butt um yeah. and, and doing things and then that's when i said i need to get into some type of sales right and and, and that was 2002 so so I'd say at that point and then and then as soon as you're bit by that bug and as soon as it happens and you get into that industry and you sell and you feel the, the win, right, or you, you accomplish that goal, um, you realize there's nothing better professionally that you could ever possibly do. So stepping away from entrepreneurship is, is not even a consideration. Yeah. Right? It's not even like, oh, well, you know I think I'm going to go back to working a nine to five where I get paid the same as everybody else no matter how hard I work you know, the, those things are not even in my consideration set as a human anymore. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's, I think entrepreneurship takes a lot of, a, a lot of different paths for different people. And a lot of times they're sort of, you know, there's notes of it here and there, but ultimately for me, I'd say, you know, it, it really was, was definitely a little bit reactive and definitely a little bit proactive, um, got me to a sort of really experience. Hey, I can do A, I can do this and B, this is what I'm designed to do. Right? So let's at go back.
0: Let's go back. So you were in college, Middlebury college, which is a, it's a tough school. It's a demanding school. Most folks in college are, are having fun, but uh, at the same time you started a company, um, so damn cheap.com. Mm-hmm. Talk about that experience, going to college, balancing school at a tough university and starting your own company.
1: Yeah. So I suppose just for context, you know, those that are, that are not 40 or above, um, you know, in the late nineties, Amazon only sold books. Um, Google had just started and was like more of an experiment than anything else. Uh, people still use Yahoo AOL was not, uh, an, uh, an old person email address. <laughs> Hotmail had just come out. Right. So this is the state of affairs, uh, back then in the technology world. And, um, what I realized was, you know, there's, there are a lot of, there really search engine technology wasn't there. Amazon didn't exist. So there really wasn't a spot to, I mean, if Amazon, Amazon did exist, but it wasn't in, in the same context it was. So, so I decided over the course of the summer when I was a, a foreign exchange trading intern, um, at Chase Manhattan Bank in New York City that I would spend my nights rather than going out and, you know, drinking all night long in New York City that I would, you know, understand what it would take to start a virtual store, which they are called back then, so like an online store. And I uh, came up with eight different stores, uh, teamed up with a few folks uh, um, that had a little more JavaScript knowledge than I did at the time, and um, found the suppliers and put everything together. And believe it or not, back then, a lot of the information that would be coming to me as a store owner was still being sent via fax. And it wasn't e it was literally paper. I would get that, turn it into digital data, and then sell it through the the virtual stores. So that was sort of the very early days of, you know, creating something that, you know, that I thought would fix some problems that people had, which is a single place to get your, back then, what was it, CDs, was a category, electronics, books household items. There was like a, you know, eight, I think had eight different major categories. Uh, and, and I, some of them escaped me that probably don't even exist anymore. You had the walk but,
0: mans, uh, you had the talk mans, all sorts right. of
1: things. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, so that was that. And, um, and that was during college and, and part of it was, you know, part hobby, but I was very much into technology, you know, uh, back then. Um, and then that always stuck with me. So, you know, my first job out of school, uh, was at Priceline dot com, where I, that that entrepreneurial spirit was very much alive in that company, um, and got to also merge, you know, in the technology and, and business, and and learn a lot about operations as well. So, that's good. yeah, so that's kind of how that how all that all started.
0: So, college, we started a company. You sold the company. You got bit bit by the entrepreneur bug, if you will. Mm-hmm. Went to Priceline, mm-hmm. which is kind of the ground floor back then. Um, it had that spirit. What prompted you and inspired you to get into the mortgage industry?
1: It was in 2002. It was the easiest sales job to get <laughs> because I was an analyst, so I'm a numbers guy at heart, right? So I I think about things um, with respect to I think about probabilities. I think about efficient use of time. Um, you know, when I was at Price Line, I I was tasked with opening call centers and running an and operations department efficiently. So when I wanted to transition into sales, uh, you know, not a lot of uh companies and, and not surprisingly will take someone who's a numbers driven analytics guy with their only professional history being that and then say, you No, know, yeah, I'm gonna put you on a sales floor. Right. So so I had a chance to I was in Stanford, Connecticut and and found a, a job in the Philadelphia area that would hire me for sales and drove down that Friday, had the interview guy called me on uh, my Nokia big, large cell phone on the drive home and uh, and said, listen, you know, I know we just had the interview, but you're hired. When can you start? And I said, I'll see you Monday. And that was it. So I turned around and, um, you know, packed up all my stuff, basically moved down to Philly and started. And then, um, you know, within six months, I was the top producer in the entire company, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. That awesome. a pretty neat, pretty neat way to start to start a sales career. That's for sure.
0: So you're an analytical guy, numbers-driven guy, working on probabilities, and then boom, now you're selling. And you were an yeah. account executive for a while too, right?
1: <clears throat> yeah, and that, that actually was my first sales job, was a wholesale account executive. It's you awesome. Know, like, uh, you know, as a mortgage broker, the, the, the folks that I talk to at the various lenders, like I've done that job, I get it, right? So that perspective is also really helpful uh, for me because, you know account executives want to work with brokers that are easier to work with. We all want the path of least resistance yep. um, in our professional careers. Right. And probably a lot in our personal careers, and personal lives too, but, but certainly professionally, you know, there's certain people that you want to work with. And, you know, as an account executive, there were brokers that I really liked working with and, and even some of the lower volume, um, you know, you know, broker shops, which for me were probably doing, you know, six to 10 deals a month or something like that with me. You know, back then when I was doing, I was doing 90 to a hundred loans a month as a wholesale kind executive, negative 20 million or so probably. Um, and you know, back then there were big broker shops that I really didn't like working with, but you know, had to kind of had to just from a volume perspective. And then there were other shops that I really enjoyed working with. Yeah. So, you know, that perspective I bring to the table now, um, with respect to being an account executive and say, Hey, you know, I want to be, I want to be a broker shop that not only is that performs well, right. It's efficient, makes money and supports employees and, you know, does right by my clients. Um, you know, who are getting mortgages, but I also want to be likable, right. I want to, I want to be efficient. I want to, I don't want to be submitting loans that are garbage, right. I want to be well liked and well respected in this industry. Um, because I believe it's the most basic line off like, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yeah. So, you are detail oriented, uh, you are efficient. And that is how you do, you know, one thing in your life. There's probably a really good chance that that's kind of how you operate as a human. Right. And then I think that's important to identify those people and stick with those people, um, professionally. How right? you so do things, cash-
0: how you do things is who you are is a yeah, really exactly, basic yeah. quote, but it's so true. That's cool. Thank I mean, you, me. you have such a unique perspective. So early 2000s, mortgage industry, you are seeing it um, from the seat of an account executive helping brokers' business grow. Now, here we are in the late 2000s. You're doing it as a broker with the help of account executives. But those two spectrums, what are the commonalities you see today in successful brokers that you also saw, like in the early 2000s, in successful brokers that, again, a lot of newer brokers are listening to this podcast that maybe they can learn from?
1: Yeah. I, you know, that's a really good question because although technology and, and communication methods have certainly um, evolved, I think one of the most important traits that a successful mortgage broker has is being likable, right? And, and that that isn't just like, you know, I'm a, I'm a friendly person, but being easy to be liked, right? Being, being um, competent, understanding the guidelines, being knowledgeable, um, being well-respected, right. And earning that respect and not taking it for granted. I've, I, I don't know anyone that's ever talked to a, um, a mortgage broker, you know, shop or an individual who's, you know, super cocky and acts like, you know, their stuff doesn't stink and says, wow, you know, that's someone that I definitely want to interact with again. Like people don't say that. Right. So no matter how successful you are, um, you know, being, being a likable person and, and, and really caring outwardly about those that you're interacting with. Will pay far more dividends than telling everyone else how awesome you are. Yeah. All right. So, sort of being humble, I suppose, is probably the best way to sum that up. And and I I've known you know mortgage brokers back to my account executive days that were bringing in a hundred grand a month. That you know, yes, they had Rolexes. Yes, they drove like literally drove Lamborghinis. Like you know that kind of stuff. But when they interact with clients on the phone they were someone that would, would do anything they could for that client and, and they would have no idea, right? The, the client would have no idea that this guy is, is bringing in that kind of money um, because it would never come up in conversation and it wasn't relevant, right? The number one focus for that mortgage broker was making sure that that person became a raving fan of them yep. and their business and their competency and they took care of them. And that is your laser focus in every interaction and you, you consistently, you know, make that known through actions. Um, then that's the type of thing that creates an advocate for your business because if you think about it this way, like it really gets crazy when you think about this, if every client, every person you help get a mortgage, a refire purchase or whatever, they're essentially an extension of your marketing, Yeah. right? They can tell other people about you or they can not tell other people about you. So what does it really take to get that person to talk about your business? And and in thinking about brokers back then and, and brokers today, um, the ones that really seem to be crushing it are ones that turn their clients, uh, their, their, their you know, buyers and, and borrowers into advocates for them. And, and that takes it's a sort of a secret, not secret sauce, but it's a special mix of, you know, interactions and caring and humbleness, I think, that really comes there where, someone knows they you know they want to help you out right because you're a very likable person
0: yeah you make such a good point i mean i think a lot of times when people think of a salesperson they think of a fast talking someone that closes and uses crazy analogies and i think a great salesperson and a business owner's is, is number one the best trait the most attractive trait is humility period and i think at the core of humility the way you're, hum- that you're humble we talk about this with our account executives, is you have to be curious. You have to truly be curious about your partner's business and how you can grow it. And you have to be a great listener. Ask way more questions than you give answers. Talk 20% of the time, listen 80% of the time, and like genuinely care and be curious about those folks. And that's how you build a relationship. Same thing being a broker, to your point. That's how you create raving fans when people truly understand that that you care about them and you're humble and you're in it for them, but genuinely in it for them. That's how you build a culture. That's how you build raving fans. It's good stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, a lot of brokers listening to this are just getting into the business. They're looking to create referral networks, whether it's realtors or financial advisors, accountants. And one thing I've got to know you well is you have... Um, an awesome ability to create relationships with financial advisors. In fact, that's where a lot of your business comes from. Can you, A, explain how that happened, how you, how you created that niche and B, what advice you can give folks that are listening to this, um, just how to earn business from financial advisors, maybe how they think, how they operate, any advice you'd give.
1: Yeah, Sure. Yeah. Um, so two parts. First, let's talk about how how I sort of got into this financial advising space. Um, first, it's a space that um that i enjoy because uh, a lot of times uh, working with a client of a financial advisor is very strategic right they're they're looking for a refinance or to buy a house for part of a part of a, a it's a piece of a puzzle right in their macro plan um that part really excites me i like being able to um think in a, in a way where you're adding value to someone's life, right? And a lot of times it's order taking kind of, for lack of a better word, like, hey, this person has a four and a half percent, can you lower the rate? It's like, yeah, sure, I can do that, right? Let's just let's get the refi done. Other times it's, hey, I've got a scenario, this is the client situation, we're wondering if we should do it this way or do it that way, and I love having those conversations and trying to, you know, and, and working with the advisors who are generally pretty, generally smart overall. Um, they don't have the micro-level mortgage um, detail that that probably the average consumer would think, but they rely on people like us for it. Right. So, so that's where we can fit in is going to be one of those people. So, um, so I like the financial advising space because I feel like there's often opportunities to collaborate um, and talk through scenarios and, and yes, they don't always generate income, but at the end of the day, it's not about that one transaction. It's about the relationship with the advisor. You bring value to them. You become a sounding board for them. You remain unbiased and tell them when their client shouldn't refinance or when they should, or or the downfalls of buying a house here or buying a house there, and the transaction costs associated with it, it and, and all these different things. Like that's how you you, you bring that value to the table. Um, you know, as far as those those interactions go. So that's why I like I like working with financial advisors for that reason. It's good. Um, yeah. But like then what I, is like,
0: Ben? What is I'm new. I'm nervous yep. I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. What's advice, like what's the first move I can make? How do I bring that first piece of value or introduction to a financial advisor?
1: You know, I, I think it all starts with discovery, right? And to, to really, really break that down into pieces. I think it, it starts with finding a financial advisor that you can have a conversation with and asking them what's important to them and saying, Hey, listen, you know, I'm I'm a mortgage guy, right? I'm a broker. I have, I have some, some things in my business that might be attractive to you, right? If you're a fiduciary, meaning you will truly work in your client's best interest, then me as a mortgage broker that can evaluate several lenders might be a good platform that for you to know about, you might want it. You might want to, excuse me, an independent broker like me, the same way you're going to want an independent insurance agent, right? If you're a fee-only advisor, because I can sort of check out the market across the board and then bring various options back. I'm not captive, as they say, where I only have one option or only have one methodology for figuring out a deal. So the flexibility can be important, but i say the very first step for anybody is don't be afraid to pick up the call from phone and have a call. Yep. Um, financial advisors though, um, you know, their clients are very important to them. It is, uh, their clients are harder to get than most clients their clients are uh, typically pay a lot, maybe not directly, but assets under management, right? If you have a client with a $2 million portfolio, you're probably bringing in anywhere from fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year on that client from a revenue perspective. So think about that when you talk to the financial advisor, right? This isn't give me a transaction and let me knock it out. This is give me a very important component of your income. And it's an IOU, right? I owe that like this client is important to you. I get it. Um, so you have to understand the context in which that advisor is working and what they really care about. So that's how, that's why those questions up front are so important, right? Hey, tell me about your business. Tell me what you're looking for. How could I be the best possible resource for you? Ask them. They're they're normal people, right? I mean, um, some of them might say I already have some mortgage resources, and you can say, cool. You know, is there anything you're missing out of the mortgage resources that you have that maybe I can bring to the table? You know, maybe there's a client fit. Maybe there's a certain type of client you have. Maybe one out of five clients is a certain way maybe I'll work well with them, right? If you're, uh, you know, if you're, I've seen this before where in some cases um, uh, certain types of financial advisors will certainly focus on certain types of professionals, right, like physicians or engineers. Um, That same way, if you know that somebody focuses in on physicians, you might wanna brush up on your doctor loan options, right? and go in there and say, hey, you know, you might be looking for someone that has some deep knowledge in this world. Like, I'm willing to bring that to the table and, and bring some value to your business if a physician has a question about a doctor's loan, right? I can help them answer those things. I can share with you the Fannie Mae guidelines as it pertains to student loans and talk about these things. So, you know, we can, we can do a seminar maybe with some of your physicians or what would be helpful for you, right? Ask those questions. Um, so those are some sort of ground floor things, but it all starts with just learning. Yep. And and to your point, you know, you got to ask the questions, right? you got to go in you can't go in like you know everything like that's, that's someone else's job, right? You got to go in like you're looking to help them out and just ask them what they're looking for. Um, Maybe, maybe it helps to have some suggestions lined up as far as things you could do, but those are hard to make unless you know their business.
0: It all comes back to humility, man. Come in Mm -hmm. asking questions, be curious, be genuine, be a great listener. Don't come in with a sales pitch to your point. You you know, you, you use your ears to listen. And then when you do talk, And maybe it's not on that call. Maybe it's a month later. It's relevant to who they are, what their business is. Um, It's awesome. It's great.
1: Yeah. You know what's interesting? uh, And I'll share this too. um, One of the things that you could potentially fall into as a trap as a new broker would be talking to a financial advisor and they're like, yeah, I'm definitely down to refer you clients, you know, as long as you can refer me clients back. Yeah right now that to me is the wrong type of financial advisor to work with now i'm not opposed to giving a you know a lead to a financial advisor but but you kind of got to like step back for a second and be like listen let's let's get real right we're mortgage guys we're mortgage girls we're 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 a, a spot in the we're we're a moment in time for someone who's getting a mortgage right generally speaking um if i'm talking to someone who makes 2 million dollars a year and you know if if i earn their trust enough to refer them to a financial advisor yeah I will 100% do that. But if a financial advisor is looking at you as a mortgage resource, exclusively as a way to gain new potential clients or referrals, then they're missing the value that you can add as a bolt-on component to their business. They're not valuing what you're bringing to the table. They're simply looking for something else and to use you to get a client. So I often get Pitched because we have hundreds of financial advisor relationships. I often get pitched. Hey, man, you know what? I, I can show you what we do too. You know your own planning. If you ever have any questions, let me know. That to me is an immediate red flag. Yep. I'm like this guy. Like I, I failed. That he d- either I failed or he doesn't actually like. There's something wrong here, right? He should be looking at what I've done and how I've designed my business and what I bring to the table and say, man, if I could plug you into my base of clients, that would make me look better. Yep. That's my goal, right? So. So if you're asking me to look at my own financial numbers or you want to sit down and do a planning session with me, like, you know, it's not, I can't do that. I have thousands of, you know, a thousand financial advisors I've talked to in the past five years, let's say I can't like, I, I don't have, like, I don't have time for that. I'm not interested in that. You know, I, I know there's a lot of great advisors out there, a ton of them, but, but that's not my, that's not why I'm here. Right. It's not why I'm talking to you. Um, so I try to keep it very authentic. And I certainly don't want to, and I'll tell them up front, you know hey you know and, and it happens quite quite frequently um, probably one out of every ten interactions sort of eventually finds its way to that you know and, and I tell them I'm like listen I get it you know I, and, and and I think you'd be a great advisor but you know I'm here to grow um, to grow my business and to bring value to you so if you can think there's a way if you can think of a way that I can bring value to your existing client base that you can't get with someone else or something I can do for you to bring value to your client base let me know I'm all over it yep. you know but but the answer isn't look at my financial plan and sit down and do a planning session with me or ask me for a referral, you know, and I mean, I'll I'll gladly do it, but that's not the basis of my relationship with you. Yeah.
0: You're an extension of their business. This isn't transactional. You're literally part of their business,
1: which I tell them all the time. I tell them all the time. I say, imagine there's a door down the hallway that says your mortgage department on it. And I'm just sitting in there waiting. You just let me know. You you tell me what you need. Walk down, knock on the door, ask me a quick question, turn and walk away. No problem. You know, you want, you want some data, you want to know about lines of credit. Hey, I don't do lines of credit, but you know what? We actually created a website, a page on our website, um, that mortgage CS that lists the 25 local banks here in Philadelphia that do lines of credit. And, and we updated approximately every quarter, but it's a running list of every bank. Now we don't do lines of credit. We didn't charge those, those, um, banks for anything, but advisors ask a lot about lines of credit. And guess what? I, I was sick of saying, you know, I'm like, man, this is one way I can bring value. So let's just create mortgagecs.com slash HELOC. And we just have all the, you know, a bunch of banks there with the terms of their lines of credit. And I just refer that out to people and they love it. They think it's the most amazing thing ever. You know, it, and, and if it's not 100% accurate, it's pretty darn close. And if nothing else, it's a really, really good resource to list just simply the banks that have lines of credit in the area for us to make a short list off of. Right. So, so that's an example of, you know, yep. bringing value, um, as a component of our website, right. Even. So.
0: Ben, I want to pivot and talk about brand because I think you know who you are and know what your brand is, but you know, I work with a lot of new brokers and successful brokers. And you know, I think the number one superpower of a broker is optionality. They have a bunch of incredible lenders fighting for their business, giving them unique options, products, technology, and it's a beautiful thing to have as a broker, lenders fighting over their business and rolling out the red carpet. But what I see a lot of brokers struggle with is they make their brand and their value add the fact that they have everything. Hey, I'm a broker and I have USDA, FHA, VA, um, Fannie, Freddie, grants, down payments, and their website looks like that, and that's their pitch. Um, all of these different thousands of options. When I see the successful brokers out there, like you, your pitch is your brand, your belief, who you are, and people buy into that. Like Financial advisors are going to hire you, quote unquote, and have them be an extension of their brand, if they believe in who you are. Same with realtors, same with clients, right? They mm-hmm. wanna know why you do the things you do and who you are versus the thousands of different options right off the bat. You get what I'm saying? So what is, like, what is your brand? How yeah. do you brand it? Where did it come from? What is your belief system? Um, and how do you explain that to the folks you're trying to earn business from?
1: Yeah, it actually goes back to when we first founded the company in 2015. Um, so we founded our business after winning a um, business plan competition. And as a component of that, we won, you know, between in kind services and cash, about $100,000 to start the business. And back then, we weren't a mortgage broker shop. What we were was a company building technology, building a technology, a subscription based technology platform for financial advisors to give them a uh, a more efficient way to bring value to their client base the same underlying belief that we do right now, which is how do you bring value to your client base as a financial advisor in the mortgage world? Because you don't have resources. You don't have tools. Nothing exists for you right now as a, as a financial advisor, but you can Google stuff, right? You can try to become an expert overnight, but a you don't want to mess up. B it's outside your, your, you're not licensed to talk about mortgages and and give loans to people. Like you, you wouldn't be expected to be an expert in that thing. So, so for us, our brand is really all about, um, all about bringing the, bringing, I, I suppose it's, it's a combination of sort of two or three things, I think. And then it really started back then, which is transparency, um, efficiency, and then just being, you know, u- ultra competitive. Right. So we're not, you know, and, and, it's, we don't compete on price alone. We compete on, um, efficiency and we compete on expertise, Right. So some things are harder to scale than others, um, which is always a challenge. But, but as far as like our, our brand goes, often, you know, going back to the 2015, when we first founded the business, we were all about fixing, helping people understand their mortgage options in a transparent way with no pressure. We wanted to give them tools or resources without the sales pitch. Right. And, and not just like, oh, I'm going to write an article. But like have a conversation with someone that's licensed, right? And, and, and they're, you know, let's say it would be the equivalent of someone who's salaried, right? They don't get paid whether they close a loan or not. It's not, not what our business was, but that would be like the closest Without getting too deep down the rabbit hole. That's sort of where it goes, right? Like, like, you know, how can you really like all the knowledge that we have as brokers, all the loans that we've done, all the scenarios we've evaluated in our lives, professional lives, all the stuff that we've learned, how can you bring that to the forefront in a meaningful way? Um, and and help that um, help that client out. So for us, you know, our brand is really we've designed our company to be very efficient from the very first day, and that's allowed us to be to share very openly with our financial advising partners um, about how competitive we are um, from a pricing perspective, and that instills trust, that instills comfort because they know when they're making a referral that, and, and I'll tell people straight out of like, listen, you know, there's going to be times we won't be the best. There, um, there will never be a time that will be the worst. Um, there will be, most of the time will be, if not the best will be in the top 5%, right? If you were to quote a hundred mortgage brokers, my guess is we're probably in, certainly in the top 10 of all, almost all programs, you know? Um, but, but to your point also, like I've done only three FHA loans this whole year. Um, I've never done a USDA loan. Never been asked to do one. I've never been asked to do a VA loan. Um, I don't know that I've had the privilege of working with a veteran. Um, I do ask, right? It's part of the application uh, here. But you know, there's just our business is just designed to work with a certain type of client, yep. and and because our business is designed to work with that client, it is not designed to work with other types of clients, right? If someone says to me you know, I'm having some real problems getting qualified. I need to do credit repair. I need to do all this stuff. I'm going to look to other people in the industry that I know that probably charge more than me, but appropriately so, right? It's going to be a lot more work to get that person to be able to buy a house. And and I don't want to not help them, but it would be uh, a misuse of my time to devote the, that many hours or that much effort to somebody like that when, you know, my model's not designed to do that, right? My no, model necessitates, are. yeah, my model necessitates a super high level of efficiency. in And even with my clients, right, I, I see a lot of 800 credit scores, a ton of them. I see a lot of 70% and below loan to values, right? We're in the suburbs of Philadelphia and our average loan size is is right around 400,000, which is high for this area. Um, so, and then that's because our clients are a certain type of client. So we really focus on, you know, if someone told me and I have this conversation with real estate agents all the time. That I'm happy to work with your first-time home buyers, but they have to have good credit, and they have to be buying a house between 300 and 500 thousand. That's the one type of client I want, and I'll crush it for them. and I'll crush it for you, and you're looking at million bucks. I don't want to work with a guy who's buying his fifth house. I don't want to work with someone that has marginal credit because I'm not. I'm not going to be your best fit for them. Like, but those clients that are buying between 300 and 500, that's good credit, and you sense that they the tech savvy, and they want to work with. And that would be you. Send, kind of to get a sense that they're tech savvy a little bit. I'm going to be a perfect fit for that type of client. And, and they're going to thank you for the recommendation or the referral or the introduction, or here's one of three or however you want to do it. Um, and, and they're going to love that. Right. So, so we pigeonhole ourselves on purpose because otherwise it's too hard to think about, you know, it's too hard to think about um, where to put us, right. Or where to put any company. And I think the classic example here often is like um, if you ask somebody for a referral, right. And you, and you simply say, you know, who do you know that might want a mortgage right now? It's like, I don't know. Like, Dude, literally, I'm I'm now scrolling through every single person I've ever met in my entire life to see who might want a mortgage. Like, that's not practical. But if you say, hey, you know, I know you play golf. Are any of those eight guys or seven other guys that you typically play with, do you think any of them are in the process of refinancing? Or is any of them talked about any of their home finance or might want to buy a house? Like, by by bringing it down to a small, digestible, focused area, it then becomes applicable. Right. And so a broker that, and I know brokers that focus on VA loans. And I think that's awesome. Right. There's one in particular that that's down in Virginia where we're not licensed yet. And, and, um, she has referred clients to us and I've been able to uh, refer clients back to her, um, you know, based on her expertise. And I don't know she does other loans besides VA, but I, I don't do any VA loans, but she happened to have a, a non VA loan in Pennsylvania right, her, where I can help her out there. So,
0: ben i'm glad you brought up referrals because right now it's so important especially with rates being so low i mean heck it makes Mm -hmm. sense to refinance there's people all over the place that are overpaying but you know i was a loan officer for years and i have a saying that's so true to me and and everything we have in this life is based off of great communication or the lack thereof like communication whether it's in your business personal life family communications everything and the way that folks ask for referrals, just the words we use makes or breaks it. So, I mean, I can't imagine ever a time in the history of loan officers that you ask someone, who do you know that's looking to refinance? And someone says, oh my gosh, here you go. It just doesn't happen. Right. Mm-hmm. I started asking this question. It was unbelievable how much it worked. And I would simply say, to your point, you got to narrow it down. But Ben, first of all, thanks for trusting me with your mortgage. I appreciate it. Out of curiosity, and I know this is kind of a random question, how many people do you know that own a home? And pause. And the answer you get is, geez, I know so many people that own a home. Cool. Well, as you know, rates are low and we just had a great time saving you $80 a month. And so I know you know a ton of people that own a home what I'm asking for is of those you know, 100 people you know, What are who are two or three of those folks that you care about, um, that you trust, that I can reach out to and see if I can save them money just the way I helped you out with? And you get referrals every time, almost every time, because someone admits, yeah, I know a ton of people that own a home, and you're just asking for two or three and it works. So it's the words that we say. Brokers out there use that. How many people do you know, Mr. or Mrs. Client that own a home? Pause. A lot. Then ask two or three people that you know and trust. I'll reach out and I'll provide them the great service just like I helped you out with. Mm-hmm. So and the other piece I th- you, you mentioned, Ben, that's so important that I see all the time out there is folks just leading with price. That's their brand. I have the best price in America, period. Come to me, you won't find lower rates. And the issue with that is, number one, you make price the most important thing. So all the focus is on price. And when you put the focus on price, the client thinks about price. And guess what? There's always someone out there that can undercut you. They'll flip to borrower paid. They'll rip it. I mean, someone will find a way to beat you in price if you make it all about price. So be real with people. I'm going to give you a very competitive price. In fact, I'll probably be top 10% in America. There's always folks out there that'll cut you by a little bit, but here's what else comes with great price. And then mm-hmm. your value add, whatever it is you do well. To you, it's transparency, it's efficiency. It's all, I'm going to be ultra competitive, but I'm a pro. I'm sure you brand all of your experience. So just be careful out there leading with price and making that your value add. Ben, I'm going to yeah, hit yeah. you with a couple really quick questions. I want to get you, get to know you a little bit as a human being. Number one, best book you ever read?
1: On the spot. Um, Lean being... Startup. What Lean the Startup? Lean Startup. Yep. That's a book that, that inspired me to start to create the business plan that ultimately won me the $100,000 my business partner and I. I read that book, and, and the genesis, the component of it is If you want to do something, you don't need to have it all set. Essentially, there's a million little ways to test different things, right? If you're not sure if you want to work with financial advisors, for example, fine, go have a conversation with one. You don't need to spend all day hemming and hawing. Pick up the phone, call one, go meet him for coffee, have a conversation and tell him, I don't know if I want to work with financial advisors. I have a lot of real estate business. I'm, I'm sort of using you as a test. You know, have that open conversation with them, let them know what's up and then determine if that's something you want to do. And you can, and the whole premise is you don't need to have a a whole big deal. Don't, don't get ready to get ready. Just go, just go, just start right now. You know, obviously competency and and compliance are important, but you know, assuming you already know the mortgage industry pretty well, just have that conversation and just get started. Yeah. Just go. So yeah, by, by far, hands down, lean startup.
0: One of our isms here, take the roast out of the oven. Same thing. It's like you're never gonna perfect a plan. You're not gonna know until you try it. Just go, move fast, go. Mm -hmm. The lean startup. If I read a book and it made me a hundred thousand dollars, it would also be my favorite book of all time. The lean startup. All right, favorite food. What do you eat, man? Pizza. Pizza. I love some pizza. It's a Midwestern thing, man. Pizza everywhere. Yeah. Detroit City, the pizza capital of the United States of America. Is it really? Yeah, next time you're out, we'll get a slice. Yeah, all right.
1: Sounds
0: good. Free time. What do you do in your free time? I know well, you're thinking about business all, but when you do find a moment to relax, what do you do?
1: I work out and swim or play Uber driver for my kids' soccer practices.
0: <laughs> that's good, man. Yeah,
1: that's about it. So, so, yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, last, last year I swam my first four and a half mile open water race. Wow. The Bay. Yeah.
0: How do you That's even train miles. for something like that?
1: <laughs> uh, you give up two hours a day for about six months straight. That's what, you know, same way you train for a marathon, You know, just in the water.
0: It's impressive. It's impressive. Mm-hmm. So, listen, the industry is changing rapidly. I mean, as time goes by, the, the speed of the game continues to increase and increase and increase. What are you doing right now in your business? To make sure you're set up for success in 2025.
1: Well, today, uh, literally, I am um, ensuring that my mix of business is appropriate. Right, I'm, I'm ensuring that I have real estate agents uh, that that know about me uh, and can refer me to business. I'm ensuring that I have. Uh, financial advisors. I'm shoring up my, essentially my referral sources. I'm also being smart from a business perspective on investing in my brand and my future marketing strategies, right? So when there's a refi boom, you know, you have two options with the cash that you make, right? You can go buy a Maserati or a shore house, or you can keep that money in the business and say, this is going to power my marketing for the next 12 months. And, it's, and we're going to be smart about where we spend it, right? I'm not talking about like just Facebook ads and hopefully it works or buy a billboard, you know, which would, those may actually be awesome, right? Someone may have that down, no problem. But I'm talking about making an investment, the time and the money to figure out how to get and stay ahead with respect to that, right? So, I, so I, we focus very much on marketing um, there. Um, we're also ensuring that we're leaving a trail of breadcrumbs uh, behind. And by that, I mean, every client we work with, we're having the, um, we're using, you know, the positive experiences in as many ways as possible. I mean, if you go and, you know, see my LinkedIn, you're going to see video testimonials after every purchase closing. I hold my phone up right there in front of my face as a selfie with the client and say, Hey, tell me all about your experience with mortgage CS. Right. And and they're going to say it was great uh, because a, they're excited because they closed, but it was great. Right. It was easy for them and, uh, and they share accordingly. And we get some Google reviews. So we've had now 50, 55 five-star Google reviews since April this year, five stars, all of them. Um, so that, that's that trail, you know, that all the, we squeeze the juice in a positive way out of every client that we work with. So that way, in you know, five years from now, when we have a thousand five-star Google reviews, um, you know, people will look at us and say, okay, I don't even, I don't need to think a whole lot about who I'm going to use for my mortgage. Yep. Right. Here's, 400 videos of first-time homebuyers and a thousand five-star reviews and you know multiple states licensed and uh, you know all these things going on that instantly the social credibility is high so it, it's almost like my deal to lose.
0: You're right. so tr- you're uh, so true. I mean uh, now more than ever consumers homeowners are shopping. They shop and they shop and they shop because they can and they're empowered to for, from their cell phone. Period. But when mm-hmm. I say shopping. It's not just rate. I mean, they're shopping your social media. They're shopping your Google reviews. And if you don't show up as a broker, you're not going to win. So, yes, they're shopping rate, but they care just as much about who you are, your track record, all that information. Especially millennials are so used to shopping that way. You know, when they go to Amazon, it's not always the cheapest. In fact... The whoever has the most five star reviews typically wins the business, and so right. folks. I bro-
1: reviews all, reviews all day, man. all day. I mean, on Amazon, all day. A couple bucks here, a couple bucks there. If I don't know anyone that would spend, you know, ten dollars less on a hundred dollar item that has three reviews, three star reviews, versus ten dollars more for five star review. And we're talking a
0: mortgage. We're talking a mortgage. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, big, much bigger, much bigger thing. What you know, experience is important. The right product is important, and all that stuff. It's good.
0: Ben, I know you're a busy man. We're in an era of abundance. So um, the time spent today uh, is greatly appreciated. Uh, So be humble, right? Know who you are Mm -hmm. and what you do. Move fast and try things. You don't have to have a perfect plan. Eat a lot of pizza and then go swim it off, right? Mm -hmm. Invest in your business. (laughs) Leave breadcrumbs. Be out there in social media. But uh, awesome, awesome Uh, time spent today you continued watching your businessman double triple in the last six months is amazing we appreciate your partnership appreciate uh, all the advice you've given to our partners and maybe we'll have you on again we will have you on again appreciate that
1: Austin. thanks for the time
0: of course all right guys thanks for uh joining us on the stronger together podcast ben have an awesome day get out there guys and sell well we appreciate you